Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Today we're actually, we're going to, we've been uh, tracking for the last, whatever, 10, 12 weeks in the book of Ephesians. We're on chapter two verses, you know, we're going to move on to verse four uh, next. So that's a big development. But um, we're actually going to step out of that book study for the next few weeks. And we are going to uh, walk into uh, what is a tradition and has become a tradition for us at our church. And uh, some churches have traditions that need to die, uh, but this is a tradition that's actually relatively new. And it comes actually just out of, I believe, the heart of God for us. If you have not been here for longer than a year, you have no idea what you're about to experience in the life of our church in the next six weeks. December is bar none the greatest month of our church calendar year, and it's not because of Christmas holidays. That's great. But um, a couple years ago, we just felt convicted that God was inviting us to steward new measures of faith in our lives, to call ourselves to something greater. And so this week, we start our year-end series, and what we've committed to doing is, is spending months, which we literally do, spend months Beginning in May or June, we spend months in prayer uh, and discernment asking God to, to give us a prophetic word for our life in the coming year. And if you're new to church, that word prophetic is not, um, uh, it doesn't mean that we have a crystal ball to see the future. Um, when God talks about the prophetic in the Bible, the lion's share of that is not foretelling what's going to happen in 20 years, it's actually forthtelling. It's applying his word to the moment in a specific way. And so when I say that we've been praying about a prophetic word from God, we've actually been asking him specifically in this season that's coming up, what are you going to do and what do you want us to key in on and focus in on? And so we have been in prayer for a long time uh, with regard to that, and we've been wrestling that through as a leadership and as a staff. And what we believe that God is kind of pointing out to us, and the word that he's given us, it's not really one word, we're kind of making it one word, but to be strong. I, I believe that, that God is walking us into a new season where he's inviting us to strengthen ourselves spiritually that our spiritual life and our spiritual mooring, our spiritual foundation needs to be strengthened and fortified. That the things that God has been doing in your life and the things that haven't even happened yet that you've been praying for, that, that God is inviting you and he's inviting me and he's inviting our church to lean in to a season where we be strong, as Ephesians says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so for us, this word is going to kind of bring us through the next few weeks. And this word is the word 
that we're attaching to our year-end offering this year. If you're new with us again, one time a year, once a year, we take a special offering where we give beyond what we normally give so that we can do what we cannot normally do. We give beyond what we normally give so we can go beyond where we normally go. God has challenged us in the life of this church to live with faith and to actually express that. I remember the first time that I mentioned this idea to our leadership team two and a half years ago. They thought it was crazy. First of all, why would you take a separate offering in December. That's like the busiest month of the year. That's when everybody's buying their Christmas stuff and everything is going on. And why would we do that? And we prayed through and processed through that. And we got to this second week of December two years ago was our first kind of year-end offering where we were challenging each other to go beyond where we normally go and give financially to our future, to the future growth and expansion of our church. And we had no idea what God was going to do. I was terrified, actually. That first Sunday, December, I think, 14th, two years ago, standing up here and preaching and taking the audacious risk to invite people to come and bring an offering to God, bring an offering of appreciation for what God has done and anticipation for what he's going to do. God is always inviting us to live in this place where we're reflecting back and we're appreciating what he's done, but where we're walking forward. He's always inviting us, we're gonna hear it today, to keep moving forward. And so that offering Sunday came and we took the offering and later that afternoon, Pat, who counts our offerings and helps us with that all the time. She emailed us and I got an email that said, check, you should check your email because the offering came in. And I looked at Rochelle and I said, I don't want to look at it. <laughs> I'm scared. I don't know what happened, what God was up to today. And so I waited until that evening and then I checked it. And the number from that one Sunday morning of us together giving above and beyond where we normally gave was $130,000. And I looked at Rochelle and I said, I, this is incredible, but I feel like we're not, this isn't it. And so I did my best that week to kind of just reconcile that and just <laughs> struggle through that. What a horrible thought I thought, what a horrible person I was to think that that wasn't it. But that next Sunday, which is coming up too, is our giveaway Sunday. We have an offering Sunday that's gonna happen on December 8th this year. The next week is our giveaway Sunday. We give away the whole offering to somebody that we've discerned. And we're gonna do that this year again. That Sunday, as I was telling the story of what had happened the week before and getting excited with people that $130,000-ish came in, as I was doing that, a woman got up and basically bolted out the back doors. I had no idea what was going on or what she was doing. And she went and found my dad, Pastor Herm, in the lobby. And she said, can I talk to you? And she said, last Sunday, I wasn't faithful with what I believe God was calling me to give. 
And he said, okay. And she said, I, I need to ask you, can I give you $70,000 right now? I wasn't faithful. And of course, his jaw was on the floor. <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, you can do that. And so by the end of the time we took that offering, over $220,000 was given. For our growth and expansion, we've been dealing with a building that just over the years, hasn't, we haven't been able to, 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 to keep it the way that we want to. And our church has grown so much, we're out of space, and we're going to be talking about that in the weeks to come. The second year, last year, we took an offering again, because we just believe that God has called us to live in faith. And I was terrified again. <laughs> Just wondering, God, how, what are you going to do this year? That was incredible last year. And last year, together, we gave $250,000 in that one Sunday. You know what is most amazing? That's an amazing number, but what is most amazing is the following Sunday, our giveaway offering Sunday. You guys gave almost $17,000 away. That week, I had the privilege of taking everything that was given in a check and giving it to a local pastor here in Niagara Falls, sitting across the table from him. He had no idea what was coming. But because of your generosity, because of your faith, God has allowed us to sow into what he's doing all over this region. God is allowing us to sow into what he's doing all over the world. And this year, as we head toward December, if you haven't been with us before, you have no idea what kind of faith God wants to stir in our midst and in our lives. God wants to prove himself to you to be faithful and good. More than anything, God is calling us as a church and as individuals to put our feet in the ground, to, to mark out our spiritual life territory and enter into a year of being strong spiritually. Many of you have experienced great work of God in your life in the last year. Many of you have seen God do miraculous things. We've seen people healed from cancer. We've seen people set free and delivered from demonic stuff. We've seen all kinds of things. And the invitation for us is to hold our ground this year, to be strong in the Lord, not to give the enemy an inch, not to lose the battle that we've been fighting, but to establish our territory spiritually so that we can actually move on to where God is calling us to. Today I want to turn with you and, and invite you to turn with me into the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles with you, it's in the Old Testament. If you don't, um, most of the verses will be on the screen. The book of Joshua has been something that I've just, I mean, I've read it so many times, but I've just been reflecting on it a lot in the last season of my life. And there's this commissioning from God in the book of Joshua that I think is pertinent and relevant to us today. And we're just going to walk through this call of Joshua from God as we begin this series and make our way to this be strong offering that we're taking at the end of the year. We're going to see how 
what we do spiritually is connected to how we live in every single way. If you have your Bibles open, you can read with me from Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I was reflecting on that this week. And that phrase to me just jumped out there. Moses is dead. Moses is dead, Joshua, and I have another assignment for you in your life. I just felt like God was just speaking to me this week and asking me the question, Andrew, what in your life needs to die? What is actually holding you up? The things that happened in the past, what are the things that, that you're carrying that, that I've actually put to death? What is holding you from fully walking into the calling that I have for you in the future? What is holding you back from possessing everything that I have laid out for you? And some of you this morning need to hear this word from God. Moses is dead. What is in the past is in the past. What happened in the past is in the past. God's grace is sufficient for you. His ability to forgive knows no bounds. But you need to understand that Moses is dead and God is more interested in projecting and leading you in the future than in having you look through the rearview mirror and walk backwards as you watch the past. Some of you need to understand and realize that when Jesus forgave you, the grace that he offers, the work that he did on the cross, the Bible says that our sin is removed from us as far as the east is from the west, that God remembers it no more. And that when God deals with something in our life, when he confronts things in our life, when he invites us to receive forgiveness and grace for it, it's done. Moses, for a lot of us, is being resurrected every week. Oh, there he is again. There he, it's like, where's Waldo? You're just looking for Moses. That thing that, that, is, that is crippling you, that relationship, that experience, that hurt, that trauma, that sin, whatever it is. If we are going to understand what it means to be strong spiritually, we need to understand what God was saying when he said to Joshua, Moses is dead. It's time to move on. It's time to turn around and look to where you're going, not where you've been. It's time to allow me to address in your life, the hurts and the woundings. It's time to allow me to extend my grace and my mercy and my love on that stuff. But let me do that while you turn around and go to the place that I'm calling you to go. God is fully capable and able for all of us to deal with the stuff of our past and our history without requiring us to just sit in that place of non-movement in our life. He can deal with that while you move forward. God's vision for us is to understand when Moses is dead and when God is triggering the next area 
of movement in our life? What are the things that are holding us and that we're holding onto that need to die in our lives? Maybe they're relationships. Maybe it's guilt and shame. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's sin. Maybe, I don't know, it could be a lot of things. But the question for us is, are there any areas of our life that we need to allow God to work in, to allow them to die so that we can move forward? God wants us to deal with the past because he has a new day for us. One key idea from this verse is that the promise of yesterday will only be possessed through obedience and faithfulness today. The question I believe on God's heart is not, let me rehash your whole history and let's go back and rework everything. It's, would you be faithful today to trust me with everything that's happened before? Would you be faithful today to address and deal with anything that I bring up in your life so that we can move on and move past it? In order to possess the land that God is calling us to step into, he was inviting Joshua to move into the promised land. But in order to possess that land, Joshua had to deal with the past and he needed to get current with what God was inviting him to do in our lives. You know, I was thinking about this even this morning. So often we are asking God to bless our future, but we're unwilling to deal with our present. We're asking God to do immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine in our future where we're not willing to acknowledge areas of our past that just need to die and we need to move on from. And I believe that one of the things that God is calling us to in this year and in, in being strong in the Lord is putting to death in our lives the things that are crippling us and actually moving forward. So what is it in your life? Proverbs 28 Verse 13 says this. People who conceal their sin will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Can I tell you from firsthand experience? I have a lifetime of expertise in this way through my younger years. When you conceal your sin and bury it, under layers and layers of secrecy, you are only, you're only hurting your own ability to walk in freedom and in newness. God actually wants to bring those things to the surface, not to shame you, not to condemn you, but to actually definitively deal with them so that you can move on in freedom. We are crippled in our life from fully possessing everything that God is calling us to. We're crippled from being strong and courageous in the Lord when we have undealt with secret sin going on in our lives. We have the fortunate, the honor almost weekly to pray with people 
through those secret areas of our life. And let me tell you, never once, never once has God come into that situation and brought condemnation. God always works to restore and renew. He always works to build up and bring life. But his invitation to you and I, we need to be strong in the Lord so that we can confront areas of our life where we're living for less than what God has created us for. Let's keep reading on. Verse 3. This is God speaking to Joshua. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. One of the things that is required of us as we step into spiritual strength and being bold and courageous is to understand that God asks us first to, to deal with stuff that's preventing us from moving forward. But his invitation always comes with a promise. And that promise is to walk with us in every area of our life that we need him. His invitation always comes with a promise to go with us, to never leave us or forsake us, to never abandon us or reject us. We never get halfway down the road and God says, I'm out of here, peace out, I'm done with you. You've crossed the line now. You've gone too far now. Never once has God ever left you in your moment of need. Whether we feel it emotionally or not is not the question. The truth of the matter is, is that where he invites you to walk, he walks with you. Where he calls you to go, he goes with you. God promises it, but we must take hold of it. God promised that he would be with Joshua, that he would give him victory, but Joshua's feet needed to touch the Jordan River. They needed to cross onto the other side. God has promises for your life and for my life. God has things that, that he's birthed in us before we were born that, he, that were in his heart for us to do. They're there. He doesn't have to make it up or think of something new, but his invitation to you and I is to actually put our feet into motion, to actually step into the fullness of the promises of God. We, we have to activate ourselves as a part of the process. And activating ourselves is not just coming to church once, on Sunday, once a week, or twice a month, or once a month. Activating ourselves is actually daily coming before God and inviting his leadership in our life and saying, God, I'm willing to do what's on your heart for me to do today because I believe that you have territory that you want me to possess. The wilderness, I love how that's the first sort of thing that God brings up to Joshua. The wilderness of the Negev. You know, obviously that's a literal place that God was referring to. But metaphorically, the wilderness for the Israelites had deep meaning and significance. The wilderness was the place of chaos and death. 
The wilderness was literally a place of evil, of demonic activity, a place that was the fortified sort of um, area of the enemy of God. It was outside of the bounds of what they felt was safe. And that's the very first place that God invites them to go and possess and take hold of. What's happening in your life and in my, my life spiritually that requires us to step into the wilderness? It's like Jesus, after he was baptized, the very first place the Holy Spirit led him was into the wilderness. And what happened there? He had spiritual and demonic confrontation. God is saying, even in that place, that's a place I want to give you victory. I want you to stand firm in my word and who I am. I'm going to walk with you into those places where I give you victory over the spiritual assignments of the enemy of God in your life, over the schemes and the tactics of the devil in your life. If you want to read a little bit more about that, you can read Leviticus 16. The Israelites every year sent a goat into the wilderness. There was one goat that was set apart for God, and that goat was sacrificed. There was a second goat that was sent into the wilderness. And often in our translations, that's called a scapegoat. But it was actually given a proper name in the Hebrew. It was the goat with a proper name, Azazel. And that goat was sent to a specific being, a spiritual being named Azazel. And that goat became his property and his dominion. That goat carried with it the sins of all of Israel. God is inviting us to confront the wilderness of our lives, the spiritual realities of our life, the places of chaos, the places of confusion, and all of that stuff. He's inviting us to confront that. And then God goes on to say, everywhere you go, whether it's north or south or east or west, every place I'm going to give you victory. I really believe that it's on the heart of God for all of us that we would experience his life and his victory in every sphere of our life, in our spiritual life, and in our financial life in our family life, in our relational life, in our working life, that every sphere of our life, the heart of God is that we succeed and we prosper in every area of our life. And as Joshua is standing on one side of the promises of God, about to cross over into the other side, he says, look, my heart isn't just to bring you spiritual life improvement in one area. But my heart is that you would prosper and succeed in every sphere of your life. That everything you put your hands to would actually experience my blessing. Point number two is that we need to be willing to move forward. We need to deal with the past. Moses is dead but we need to be willing to walk forward. Are you willing to move forward in the things that God has called you to, the things that he's put on your heart? Are you willing to be bold and courageous with those things? Joshua had to be willing to step into the Jordan. What's our Jordan today? What are the things that you've been maybe even reluctant to actually step into that God is calling you 
to step into. We see here that God's promise extends to every area of this territory, and God ends this description geographically with the land of the Hittites. The Hittites were a people group in Joshua's time, and their territory specifically was right in the heart of God's promised land. The Hittites occupied this territory area that was right in the heart of the promised land, and the Hittites were a formidable force. They were a strong military power in the region. Uh, As Israel was fleeing out of Egypt by the powerful hand of God, later on the Hittites came and confronted them in warfare and battle. They were strong militarily. They outnumbered the Israelites. They outclassed them in every way. And God is saying, not only are you going to go to the north, south, and east, and west, I'm going to bring you right into the heart, the heart of the matter. And I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to ask you to confront those things that are, that are holding you back, those strongholds in your life that you need to be free from. I'm going to invite you right into the heart, into my heart, and into the things that are deepest in your heart. Those areas of great passion and concern, I want to actually put my hand on them and I want to lead you through in victory in those areas. Point number three is that we need to understand what must be confronted. God was giving Joshua the outlines of a battle plan that he'd already given to Moses, but was just reiterating to Joshua, these are going to be the areas of confrontation that you step into. But don't worry, Joshua, because I'm going to be walking with you. I guess my question today for my own life and for your life would be, what are the areas that God wants to actually confront in your life? those areas that are actually crippling you? What are the things that he wants to actually confront so that you can experience freedom, that you can experience life? If we don't know what God wants to confront, we're just going to be walking around in circles. Does he want to confront an ideology that you have, a mindset that you have, a perception of yourself or of other people that you have? Does he want to confront sin in your life or a relationship that you know grieves the heart of God? Does he want to confront anything like that? What are the areas of confrontation? Whatever those areas are, God's promise is that he will walk with you in them, that his strength is sufficient for you, his grace is enough, and that he will actually lead you to victory in those areas. Continuing on, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors. I swore that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will have a sh- be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed 
in all you do. We have a responsibility to not just partially live out the call of God in our life, but to fully possess every area that he's provided for us in victory. God didn't invite Joshua and the nation of Israel to kind of step across the Jordan and then kind of make their camp on the shore of the other side and sort of keep to themselves and and not bother anybody. He invited them to step fully into every area of his promise. He invited them to possess every area of the land so that they would actually be able to live in freedom and in victory. What parts of our life are currently not being possessed by the presence of God? Are there areas of your life that are actually under the rule of enemy forces? Again, are there thoughts or perceptions or attitudes or actions that are actually on the table in front of you and God is saying, I want you to possess that and bring victory to it in my name because I have a greater call on your life than to just huddle on the banks of the river and not move anywhere. So often we get paralyzed in our life and in our faith. We get paralyzed with indecision and we get paralyzed with fear. And God's heart as he was speaking to the Israelites on one side of the river is not just, hey, I'm going to take you across and once you get across, quickly set up and then, you know, guard everything. His promise was, no, I'm going to give you everything that I promised to do in your life. Everything that I've spoken to you about your future, everything that I've called you to, everything I've made you for and created you for, it's there for you. But I'm calling you to possess it. I'm calling you to move in action and be a part of experiencing the freedom of those things. Success in possessing all the promises of God is contingent, as we see here in verses 6 to 8 on obedience. Obedience for you and I precedes success and prosperity. You can't separate the two and you can't reverse the order. That God's first call to Joshua was first to obey. His heart for Joshua was that he would possess everything that God had planned for him, that he would succeed and prosper in everything he did. God's heart for you and I is the same. But his call and his challenge to us is the same. Would you walk in obedience? Would the life that I'm calling you to be the first priority? Would my heart and my presence be the first priority in your life? You can't flip those around and expect to succeed. Often we pursue success and we pursue prosperity and we pursue comfortable lifestyle and living, but we fail to walk in obedience to God. And then when everything goes to hell in a handbasket, we wonder what is happening and we blame God for the things that we've neglected to do in our own life. God is saying that his promise for you is contingent on your obedience. He wants to do so much for your life and my life. He wants us to be bold and courageous and strong. He wants us to prosper and be successful. But more than all of those things, he wants our heart in faithfulness to him. 
He wants us every day to respond to him in obedience and say, God, I'm willing to do the things you asked me to do. I'm willing to go to the places you're inviting me to go. Obedience always precedes success and prosperity. That word prosper means to succeed or prosper, accomplish an activity thoroughly and with success. The word succeed in the original Hebrew means to successfully accomplish a task or goal. Make a success, prosper, thrive, i.e. be in a state of having sufficient or considerable possessions or be in a favorable circumstance. What God was saying to Joshua is, I want to actually provide for you. I want to show you how faithful and good I am. I want to show you how rich in mercy and kindness I am. I don't want you to have to grovel on the ground and suffer through life. But your call is to be obedient. That word, that that connotation that's behind both of those words, and specifically the word succeed, is actually like a forced entry. It's a cutting through. It's God kind of breaking the line ahead of us and cutting through the enemy's line and saying, I'm making a way. I'm making a way through that front lines. It's like, you know, in, last week was Remembrance Day. We didn't even talk about it. What a huge fail of my part. But um, I love history. And it's like picturing those soldiers parachuting over the defensive lines on D-Day. It's those men and women who were the first to break the line, to break the stronghold and the stranglehold of the enemy. God is saying, what I want to do is lead you to break the line in your life, to break through in areas where you've had no growth, where you've had no effectiveness, where you've been crippled. I want to bring you life and I want to break the line. But what does God mean when he says to Joshua, that you need to obey everything I've said. We need to actually turn back one book, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 to 14. This is what God was referring to when he said, you need to obey all of my instruction and you need to meditate on my word. This is a portion of what God was saying. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him, and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. One chapter over, chapter 11, verses 22 to 25, says this, be careful to obey all these commands I'm giving you. Show love to the Lord your God by walking in his ways and holding tightly to him. Then the Lord will drive out all the nations ahead of you, though they are much greater and stronger than you, and you will take over their land. Wherever you set your foot, the land will be yours. Your frontiers will stretch from the wilderness in the south to Lebanon in the north and from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you, for the Lord your God will cause the people to fear and dread you, as he promised, wherever you go in the whole land." The beginning place of being strong in our lives, being fortified and having strength is a heart 
that is after God. The beginning place of all God's commandments, when they challenged Jesus and said, what are the greatest commandments? He went right back to the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. What God is inviting us into in a year, in this year, is a a year of spiritual strength and of success and possessing the things that God is inviting us to possess in every area of our life. And the beginning place of that is in your heart and in my heart. What's happening in your heart today? What's taking place there? Because what is taking place there and what is happening there is a precursor to your ability to live in freedom to possess all the land that God is calling you to possess. Exodus 23, first commandment, you must have no other gods before me. Mark 12, 29 to 30, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. It's your heart that God is after. God's not after your stuff. He's not after the peripheral things. He's not after your leftovers. He's after your heart. And his invitation to Joshua was to go and take on and conquer the Hittites, those things that are residing in your heart, those things that are occupying space that belong to God and God alone. Would you be willing to deal with them in your life? Would you be willing to allow Jesus to deal with your heart today? That's God's question to us. John 14, verse 23 and 24 say this. All who love me, this is Jesus saying, will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. I think something that we've mistaken in the life of the church and in Christianity today is that somehow we can say we love God without obeying him. Jesus doesn't say, if you think about me, you love me. Or if you tell people that you love me, you love me. He said, your love is attached to your obedience. So don't say that you love me if you're not willing to do what I'm asking you to do. If you're not willing for that love to be expressed in how you live, not where you go to church. God has been really rocking my world with this idea in the last few months. That the heart of God for us is to see our love expressed. That what he's inviting you to is not just to learn about him. Our knowledge far outpaces our obedience. You know way more about God than you need to to follow him with simple things today and tomorrow. He's not inviting you to be a theologian or a philosopher. You don't need a seminary degree or a Bible school degree. You and I just need to be faithful with the little things every day. He's not asking you to know more than you know today. His invitation to you isn't to be, you know, an intellectual juggernaut, a a philosopher of your day. Maybe he will gift you to be able to do that because we need those people. 
But far too many of you knew way more about God than you do follow him in obedience. And it frustrates me. It frustrates me about my own life, but it frustrates me when I'm watching you because you claim to know all of this stuff. And then day by day by day, you reject him in disobedience because you fail to do the very basic things that he's inviting you to do. You're not following him and you're not expressing that in love. And Jesus is saying, look, the cat's out of the bag. Don't tell me you love me and then do everything opposite of what I invite you to do. Don't tell me you love me and then just say, yeah, Jesus, I prayed a prayer when I was 10 at camp and my life has looked no different than it did before. Tell me you love me by how you live and watch me take what you do in obedience every day and turn it into strength. Watch me take what you offer me and sacrifice and surrender how you allow yourself to die to your own desires and what you want and what you need and what you need to control. When you allow God to put his hand on that, supernatural things take place. God's exponential laws of multiplication begin to take place. And his invitation to us today is just to be faithful with the little things. Just to be faithful with the little things. It's our heart that he's after. Point number four. I'm going to invite Ben to come up. Point four, our heart is the very first battlefield. If we want to be strong in the Lord, we need to reconcile with the reality that God is beginning in our heart. That what we need first is strength in our heart. David said, God, you are the strength of my heart. The very first battlefield for us is what we desire. What is competing today for the affection and desire of your heart? What is choking out simple obedience? What is competing for the voice of God in your ear? What's competing for the priority of God in your time? It's your heart that he wants to strengthen and renew and bring back to life. So that as you walk across the Jordan River, as you possess the land that he's calling you to, you can walk in freedom and victory. Notice how God's promise to Moses is, I'm going to go ahead of you. You're not doing this on your own. I'm not asking you to fight the battles you can't fight. I'm just asking you to fight the ones you can fight. Let me take care of the giants. Let me take care of the big stuff. Let me take care of all that you need to succeed and prosper in life. But fight the little battles. Partner with me and join with me in fighting those. And the first battlefield is our heart. God's heart is that we would possess every area of promise. Just like for Joshua and the Israelites, they had messed up so bad. Just like you and I, they kept having to hit the reset button. And time and time again, God said, just let's start with your heart again. Because my desire for you is that you would be strong this year. My desire is that you would experience my life coursing through your veins. That when you pray, it's effective and powerful. 
My desire for you is that you walk in victory over the stuff that's emotionally tearing you apart, over your feelings and over your thought life and over your addictions and over these areas. My desire is that you walk in strength and victory. I want you, God is saying, I want you to succeed and prosper in every area of your life. Financially, work, in your family, as you parent with your friends, in your social spheres and circles, God's heart as you prosper and succeed in the things that he's inviting you to do and he's walking ahead of you. His first question is, who owns your heart today? What's competing for the plans and purposes of God in your heart? Because in his grace and in his mercy, God wants to put his finger on these things. You know, he said to Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah, that even before Jeremiah was conceived, that God had set him apart to be a prophet. God already knew before you and I were conceived what was in his heart for us to do. This great calling and desire of God has never changed for you. It's never changed for me. His heart towards you has never changed. His invitation is always the same. Give me your full heart and I'll give you all of me. I'll make a way ahead of you where there's no way. I'll do things in you and through you that you can't accomplish on your own, but start with your heart. What's competing for your affections today? That's what God wants to put his finger on for us today. So number one, we need to deal with our past. Moses is dead. Number two, we need to be willing to step across the Jordan and activate ourselves in following God for our future. God's looking forward and his invitation to you and I is to allow him to work on the stuff that happened in the past so that we can turn ourselves forward. I don't care if you're 99 years old here, God has a plan for your future. The same way he does for my boys who are seven and 10. God has a plan for them and every night as Rochelle and I pray for them together and as I pray over them every night, I say, God, what is in your heart for my kids? Show me so that I can speak life over them. Show me so that I can identify what you've put in them before they were even conceived. They were in your heart and you knew them and you formed them and you made them for a purpose. I just believe that God is looking at your life and at my life today. And he's saying, if you only understood everything I've made you for, if you've only understood all of the, the, the areas I want you to possess and walk in victory on and over. So how do we start? I'm going to end with this. Like we've been saying, and God is teaching me, this stuff isn't rocket science. Here's what I want to challenge you to as we begin this journey to the end of the year. I want to challenge you to spend, I don't care how many minutes, a few minutes at the very start of your day with God. You don't need to read a whole book of the Bible 
You don't need to know. You don't need to pray for an hour or anything like that. What I want to challenge you with is to literally, like I do, sometimes roll off your bed and onto your knees beside. Sometimes it works out better than others. But literally, to start your morning, and all I want you to say is, Jesus, I declare you Lord over my life today. And I give you every part of me. I give you my heart today. And let him take it from there. We don't need to overcomplicate it. There's no formula for what we do. There's principles of prayer that we've been teaching you. But I want to challenge you between now and our year-end offering, December 8th, to dedicate a few minutes to God every morning and see what happens. I had this conversation with a young woman a few weeks ago at the front, and we were processing through some really heavy things that are going on in her life. And I challenged her with this same thing. And she came to me last week, and she said, I've been doing it. And you wouldn't believe what God has been doing in my life. You wouldn't believe the peace that I'm walking with and the freedom. I, I feel like I'm not being buffeted by a hurricane. But just that few minutes of giving God the first of your day. I challenge you, you give him 10 minutes and see what he will do with you. See what he wants to do with the first part of your day and the first part of your heart. Before the cares of this world suffocate everything out of your day, give God a few minutes and see what will happen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.